So the first thing we do in catechesis every Sunday, and by the way, catechesis will run, this class will run from today straight into the middle of June probably, even like the end of June. Um, now for some of you who are students who are going to go home for that part, don't worry about it. You get, you get all the really important stuff before you go home. Uh, and it might be that we, we wind up tacking on extra material or we wind up having extra time for questions or whatever it might be. So please keep that in mind. This is, this is, uh, um, this is what this is. I'll, I'll explain more as we go forward. But the first thing we do in catechesis is sing. So we're going to stand up and uh, exercise those vocal cords. And uh, I'll tell you why in a bit. Uh, the hymn is hymn number 477. You got blue books right here. Um, if you're not used to singing, uh, you know, you can just mouth the words and make a joyful noise or whatever you want. Uh, but let's do it. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until with thee I will, one will, to do or to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, till all this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with thee the perfect life of thine eternity. Let us pray. Almighty God, by our baptism into the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you turn us from the old life of sin. Grant that we, being reborn to new life in him, may live in righteousness and holiness all our days through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So I th there are several kind of business items to get out of the way. Uh, this is uh, the catechesis course. Um, it's, uh, it serves several purposes in the life of Christ Church, and I kind of want to go over those. But the first is it's kind of like an introductory course to, uh, to what we as Anglicans teach and what we hold. Um, you'll at times be surprised because it's like, man, that's just kind of like basic run-of-the-mill Christian doctrine. At other points, you'll be like, that's not at all what I remember growing, here, growing up hearing. Or you might even think, I've never heard anything taught about that at all in my entire life, and I've been going to church my whole life. Why have I never heard about that? It's, 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 that's a very normal experience. Um, catechesis is a practice in the church that has almost been entirely lost. Um, uh, catecheo in Greek uh, is, a, is a word that's used in the New Testament. Uh, for instruction. Jeff, I think you got to press that upstairs button. The compressor's out. I can't hear it. Yeah. 
Yep. It's that. Yep. <laughs> anyway, we have air conditioning fun here because it's an antique. It's like 1958 is the vintage on the air conditioner. And it works, uh, but, you know, it has to be replaced. So if you know of anybody with a quarter million dollars, uh, please let me know. Um, but katakeo in the Greek means instruction. Um, it's essentially a word that, uh, that but, it, but it has a bigger meaning because um, what Christians did in the first several centuries was, uh, was undertake a, a very rigorous, very intentional plan of forming uh, people who were coming. You know, there, were, there was nothing but Jews and pagans back then in, in, the, in at least the Roman world. Um, and so... Uh, the, the task was very high, right? Especially for someone who had only a week before been worshiping uh, a tree stump or something. Um, you know, how do you make a Christian out of that, right? Um, and so this is a, a very uh, major issue. And what happened uh, ultimately was that a course of catechesis was prescribed, um, which would sometimes last as long as three years uh, before someone would be baptized and enter into the church through baptism. Um, catecheo has this wonderful connotation. Um, and it, it's, it's as though uh, you speak into an empty void. Have you ever yelled into a cave? And what happens? <laughs> it echoes back, right? Whatever you say to it, it echoes back, right? That's what the call and response of a catechism is all about. Um, but the fathers, the church fathers, they pick up on this. They say, you know, the, the word resounded in you. When there was nothing in you to, to call back but just being made in the image of God. And, and the word resounded back. Um, this was all meant to culminate when you would, at the very last, profess the faith of the church as uh, identified in the Apostles' Creed um, or whatever ultimately became the Apostles' Creed, um, and then you'd be baptized, usually on the Easter Vigil, um, the night before Easter Sunday. Um, so, unless the symbolism, is, the symbolism is lost, especially the symbolism and, and what we see in the New Testament regarding baptism, um, you have been buried with Christ and raised with him, um, is where all this is going. Um, well, fast forward to today. What do we have in most churches today? We have the venerable institution of Sunday school, right? And, uh, and Sunday school is, you know, all well and good. But, you know, Sunday school has a particular history, too. And uh, Sunday schools began as a way to instruct um, urban Irish youth who were up to no good on Sunday mornings. And the idea was, well, at the very least, we could teach them uh, math and, and uh, reading and, and language. Um, and uh, that would be great if we could do that. And so that's the history of... of uh, uh, the Sunday school, and ultimately with the advent of uh, mandatory and compulsory public education, the need for that almost evaporated, um, and so Sunday school became entirely religious. However, because Sunday school was, taught, was begun by normal school teachers, um, they kept doing it, and the clergy, what did, the, what did we do? Nothing, right? Nothing. We might have a Bible study, right? But this practice of catechesis was, was ultimately lost. Um, and in recent years, we've attempted to bring it back, and uh, I'm told the air conditioning is starting to run again, which is good news. Um, but the, uh, the, the, many have recognized that we desperately need to revitalize this practice. Um, why? Well, you know, right? Maybe you're here and you think, I've never actually been taught what Christians believe ever. 
um, not, in a, not in a substantive way. I've been to a bunch of Bible studies, right? I've been to a bunch of things like that. Um, or maybe you just say, um, you know, I've been to a lot of churches that wouldn't know what to do with a pagan if a pagan walked through the doors, right? And I think this is, this is where I tend to think about things. Um, I have spent the last 17 years of my life completely devoted to the study of catechesis, and so I hope that uh, that's, of, that's of help to you. Um, and, uh, and this catechism, which is in front of you, I have the lovely black leather edition, um, and I have a few left in plastic, and I will give it to you so long as you don't hawk it on Amazon for the $600 that people are asking for it. Um, it would be an easy way to finance a lot of things. Uh, but but uh, this, is, this is it. The gray copy is perfectly adequate and is the exact same text. So uh, this, is, this is the textbook for the class. Um, I would encourage you to bring not only this, but also a Bible with you uh, so that you can look up Scripture references as we go along. Um, what we're going to do today is we're basically going to jump right into the second section of the Catechism, uh, not that the first section is of no importance, uh, but rather that uh, there are certain things that just drive me crazy about it, and, uh, and, and they've been reworked for the new edition, and so you can all look forward to that. Um, but this catechism came out of the fruit of a lot of labors uh, that came about in the Anglican Church in North America over the last 10 years um, as, uh, as we faced some very serious um, issues, right, which are that you look at any of the, you know, Pew, any kind of these research institutions that look at what Christians uh, believe, and they find what? Yeah, like, there's a lot of haziness out there. Like, what, what, what exactly do we mean by the resurrection? I don't know. Um, I always love when they have those, they always publish these on Easter, and they always up on blogs. It's like, uh, you know, do, do Americans actually believe in the resurrection? And I think the answer is they believe in some kind of resurrection, but they're not clear what that is. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's always the case, right? So, like, <laughs> we, we always know that, like, atheists know more about Christians than Christians know about themselves. And it's because they care to find out, right? Because they're, they're going to be assaulted and, uh, by, by those who really, you know, know it and they desire to know it. So, there it is. Um, and so, uh, these are perpetual issues. And, and um, one of the things that, that becomes also clear is that um, we've been almost Bible-studied to death. I mean, we know, like, we know that people are very conversant in Scripture, um, some are, um, but here's part of the problem. Without a firm grounding in what Christians believe and teach, Scripture can be hard to understand. I mean, even in Scripture, um, Peter says of Paul, like, there are some things in Paul's writings that are really hard to understand, right? And, and I think that's true, right? That, that there are a lot of things in Scripture that are really hard to understand um, without firm grounding in what Christians teach. Um, the other thing that's happened is that we've almost entirely neglected teaching things like prayer. Um, prayer is sort of one of those things where it's like, but you should figure that out. And I'm just going to tell you, Prayer is not something you just figure out. Um, it's hard. It's a discipline. Um, it's something you need help in. I need help in. Um, and so uh, one of the things we'll spend a lot of time on is teaching about prayer and uh, introducing things like spiritual direction and et cetera. Um, and uh, 
Finally, there's been a lack of substantive teaching on the Christian moral life. Um, and that shows big time um, when you start to really get down to it. What, how do Christians live? But as it turns out, the ancient church, like they have an answer to a lot of things, has an answer for this. It's like, okay, so teach the creed, <laughs> teach the Lord's Prayer as a basis for teaching prayer, and teach the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's a novel idea, I know, but, but there it is. And so uh, catechisms have been built on that, um, and, uh, and that's what we do here. It's an expedition of the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. It's very basic. It's meant to be basic. Now, I know some of you in here have advanced degrees in theology, philosophy, etc. Um, listen, we've had, Baylor, we've had former Baylor provosts in this class. So uh, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. Two of them, in fact, uh, they, they, they come away like, that was magnificent. You know? So lots of people, lots of deep Christian intellectuals have been through this class. They love it. They enjoy it. Um, so, you know, take your medicine. It'll be good. It'll be good for you. Um, it's, it's a joy to me um, be, because of this. Um, St. Augustine was once asked, how do you really do the job of catechesis well? And his answer was, cultivate delight in the teaching. Um, think of it like giving someone a tour of your hometown. Um, what is mundane and commonplace to you, all of a sudden, as soon as you're expressing that love that you have for your hometown to someone else, um, it becomes a joy. And so here's what I'm doing, <laughs> essentially, in this class. I am walking you through uh, my deepest love. I'm taking you through the things that I love more than my wife and kids. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's not sorry. <laughs> but I'm, I'm walking you through uh, uh, the very things that I've founded my life upon. Um, and, uh, and it gives me great delight. So at times I'm just going to be kind of ecstatic and that'll be fine. And I might even sing to you at occasion. Uh, but, but that's that. Okay. So how does catechesis ultimately get used in the life of Christ Church? Um, Many of you are coming from other Christian traditions, and all you really want to know is, what's different about Anglicanism? Because I hear so much about it, and I kind of want to do it, and I kind of want to understand it, and that'd be really fun. And it's like, yes, you'll get that. You'll get that thickly. Uh, we will spend lots of time, uh, and if you have any questions along the way, stop me, ask. Um, part of catechesis is an openness to... Uh, being questioned, heckled, uh, all the rest. It's meant to be like, if we don't, if we're not making progress, just stop, take our time. You don't have to go at any pace. I have no agenda for this. I'm, it's not like I'm going to do questions 1 through 10 this week, questions 11 through 20 next week. I have no plan, right? Um, and you might say, that sounds scary. It's like, yes, it is. I have no plan, right? <laughs> um, we're just going to, we're going to go through the catechism at whatever pace it works. Um, and that means that if we have two questions in a week, because we're all kind of like, let's talk more about that. Fine with me. Um, because good pedagogy, many of you are teachers, many of you are professors, requires that you move the pace of the instructed, not of, um, not of those who are teaching. Um, so my agenda is merely to go through the catechism uh, at, at a pace that works for you. Um, so stop me if you have to. Uh, it might be that you're the one dragging behind, uh, and so I'll just take you out for lunch and we'll talk. <laughs> or it might be that you're like, I'm plowing on ahead. I'm like, great, go do that. But this is where we are as a class, and I'm sorry. Um, 
So a lot of people use it just to kind of familiarize themselves with Anglican teaching, and, and that's fine. Um, there are many in this class who, who have actually said very clearly, like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore, or I've never been a Christian, and so here you are. Like, this is awesome. Uh, and this is meant to be a very basic instruction in Christian teaching uh, so that um, some, some will be preparing for baptism, some will be preparing for confirmation, uh, and, and others just simply want to be here to just learn and be a part of it. That's great. Um, in that vein, and I know I'm kind of dragging on, um, you, right here, the well, maybe 25 people in this room, are my primary pastoral interest for the whole year. So if you wind up in the hospital, call me. <laughs> if, you, if you need to meet, call me. Um, if you have any, re any requirement whatsoever, just give me a call. Um, I'm very inspired daily by the, um, by the, by the witness of uh, Benedict of Nursia, a kind of wild monk in the 5th century, um, and, and he prescribes that the abbot, the leader of the monastery, pay special attention to visitors and newcomers. So I'm going to do that for you. Like, you got my attention. Um, don't feel like you're overburdening me or taxing me to say, can we just, like, get together and talk? <laughs> like, yes, I'm totally on board. Um, uh, others can, you know, do what they want. But, but I, you got my attention. Um, what people will ultimately do normally is they'll say, this was great, I loved this, um, I'd like to make a commitment to Christ Church as a congregation, I'd like to uh, express that by uh, being confirmed when the bishop comes, and I'd like to receive the laying out of hands for the increase of the Holy Spirit, and I want that. That's wonderful. If that's not you, at the end of this, no skin off my back, right? I trust that God will use this for his purposes, and, and uh, I don't have any agenda for that either. Um, that is just simply what some people choose to do at the end of that time. That happens uh, the Sunday after Easter Sunday. Um, in addition to that, um, many of you will say, within the next few weeks, or even in the next few months, I love Christ Church, I want to be a member. It's like, Great. <laughs> if you're already baptized, just simply get Stevie, our administrator. You can raise your hand, and there you are. Get her your baptism information, or just tell her, I think I was baptized at such and such church, and she can try to hunt it down for you. Um, and, and once that record's put on file, you're a member. Uh, we'll talk more at Christ Church 101, which all of you should be uh, signed up for, and if you're not, we can get you there, um, uh, which is September 1st and September 8th. Um, so uh, that's where we talk about what membership means and all the rest. All right. So, any questions before we get moving? Awesome. Okay. All this is meant to be is just an exploration. It's meant to be uh, 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 very highly oriented towards discussion. We start with singing, and the reason is, I can already tell this, you are... You are a lovely group of people, but you've got to get your blood pumping a little bit <laughs> and get engaged. And one of the things that singing does uh, automatically, they've done research on this, um, and I'm not trying to manipulate you, but you hook somebody up to one of those machines, I don't know what they're called, I'm not a scientist, uh, uh, where it monitors brainwaves, and they, and they have you sing a song, and the empathy centers of your brain light up like Christmas trees. Because singing activates this desire to learn, this desire to hear from people, this desire to understand. Um, so we sing. Um, and we also sing just because singing is good and God loves singing, and, and so we do it. Um, 
Some, for some of you, that'll mean singing weird hymns you've never sung before in your life. Uh, for some of you, it'll be like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. It's such a beautiful song. And, you know, we'll do that eventually. Uh, but uh, all that is to say, we sing to start and then we pray. And, uh, and we usually wrap up with time to spare before the, the 1030 service. Okay. You ready? Okay. It's on. Uh, we're going to start with the introduction to uh, part two, Believing in Christ. It is headed up, the Apostles' Creed and the Life of Faith. Does anybody have the gray text number, the page number for that? 22. Okay, great. So we're on page 22. And I'm just going to kind of give an introduction to this. Um, by the way, next week we will not have this class. That does happen occasion because occasionally I get people like Jerry Kramer um, to come here. He comes every year. He demands to have an audience, and so we just shut catechesis down. No, he doesn't. We just give it to him because <laughs> he's that, like, you're going to love next week. It's amazing. <laughs> um, it's, listen, um, just a plug for next week. Um, everything you ever wanted to know about what God is doing in the Muslim world, you can come to know this, this coming week. It is absolutely awe-inspiring. Um, I was in northern Iraq last April, the week following Easter, and it was a ground-shattering awakening for me to see that, um, to, to just see Iraq, a place that I'd only seen bombed out in the news, um, and to know the people and to meet people and to, and to meet Christians there and to meet uh, Christians who've been there longer than Christians have been here. Um, and uh, so uh, you'll hear about that next week. Um, so let's begin. For Anglicans, as for all genuine Christians, authentic Christianity is apostolic Christianity. Um, we begin in the creed with the Apostles' Creed because if you're looking for the genuine article of Christian believing, it's found precisely in what the Apostles hold and teach. Um, Christianity ultimately is not based, and I know this is kind of a common uh, problem that we have. It's not based upon what people wrote down and that became the New Testament. I know that sounds, some of you, that sounds like heresy. It's like, what is he talking about? It's written based upon the eyewitness veracity of the apostles who saw the things that they later testified to in Scripture. It is their witness that drives the church, and it is their living witness today which drives our witness as Christians. Um, read, if you, want, if you want to delve right in, read 1 John, verse 1, that which we have seen and touched with our eyes concerning the word of life. Um, that eyewitness account matters immensely. Um, I was just uh, at a class where we looked at the church father, Origen, who was only three generations removed from an apostle. And to him, this matters immensely. Um, so, a wonderful, wonderful thing that uh, genuine Christianity is apostolic Christianity. Apostolic Christianity rests, we say, on the historic eyewitness testimony of Jesus' followers, the apostles to the facts. I love facts. Not often you hear the word facts these days. To the facts of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, present heavenly reign, and promised future return. Both Jesus and his apostles understood these facts to fulfill the Old Testament hopes of the kingdom or reign of God, to which God's covenant with Israel was intended to lead, and which the Christian church has received as a reality from Jesus and his apostles. All of this is just an introduction to say that what the apostles met 
in Jesus was the, the reign of God. Um, fulfilling all the hopes of the Old Testament. All the hopes of the Jewish people being fulfilled in Christ. Um, Anglicans affirm that the Bible, the Old and New Testaments together, is God's Word written. Um, and we're going to say a lot about that. That's the second section of the Catechism. Uh, the second subsection is we start with the Creed, we move on to Scripture, uh, and we go from there. And we learn these authoritative facts. Um, so, I, I'm actually just going to kind of stop there and let you read it on your own. I, I just want to give an introduction, which is that um, we, we, don't just, we don't just believe because God the Holy Spirit whispered in some guy's ear or some woman's ear potentially like, hey, write this down for me. We believe because God dwelt among us in Jesus Christ, um, revealed himself to his apostles, um, and their living witness continues. Um, and this is why we call it the Apostles' Creed. It summarizes uh, the Apostles' faith. Um, and by the way, this is the fun part. In the ancient church, if you were to be baptized, on the week before you were to be baptized, this creed, something like it, and ultimately this, would be uh, handed to you. They literally use that word. It's, it's, the word. it's the language of tradition, actually. It would be handed to you, and you would be told to memorize it, which ancient people were great at memorizing things. We're terrible at memorizing things, but they were great at memorizing things. Uh, somebody, you could hear something once and have it memorized. Um, and in fact, Ambrose says, by the way, uh, don't practice it out loud, lest someone in your household might hear you, and then you cast your pearls before swine. It's this kind of like, make sure that you... Uh, that you don't do this out loud, which have been unknown to people back then. All, all texts were recited. Um, but with the understanding that on the night that you were baptized, you would hand back this creed to the church. Um, and the understanding was that it was given to you whole, and it's to be given back whole. It was given to you as a symbol of your faith and a symbol of your, uh, your, your faith in Christ, and it is also the faith into which you are baptized. Because in many places in the church, uh, you would be asked, do you believe in God the Father? And you would say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And the, and the bishop would say, then I baptize you in the name of the Father. Dunk under the water and hold you down till you squirm. Uh, and then pull you up. Do you believe in God the Son? Right? And if you've ever been to an Eastern Orthodox baptism, they still do this, right? Even with babies, like they make the godparents say it. Uh, but, but this is how they do it. Um, and it is uh, absolutely uh, to say that you're baptized into uh, the faith of the church. It's a faith that you receive. And it's also, and this is really wonderful, listen, the creed, all the creeds, express faith in the triune God. Um, so you're being baptized in the name of the Trinity, in the faith of the Trinity. Okay. All this kind of goes wonderfully together. All right, so you ready to start off with question 19? All right, what is a creed? A creed is a statement of faith. The word creed comes from the Latin credo, which means I believe. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you this. <laughs> One of the things I do is I ask the question, you give the answer. Um, you might not believe the answer, uh, and that's okay. You can just read it, uh, and, and that's okay. Uh, I'm totally fine with that. Um, and nobody's, you know, it's not like lightning's going to come down and strike you. Uh, not anytime soon, anyway. Uh, but, but 
this is simply to say that um, this is that practice of catechesis, right? It's to say um, the, the word resounds. A creed is a statement of faith. Um, every creed begins with this word in Latin, credo, I believe. Now, some of you might notice that at Christ Church on Sunday mornings, we say, we believe. Well, why the difference? Well, the earliest creeds all said, I believe. Over time and through the centuries, they were adapted for liturgical use and changed to, we believe, especially the, the Nicene Creed. Um, but still, today, in Anglicanism, in morning and evening prayer, we recite the Apostles' Creed, I believe. Um, why? Common faith can be terribly convenient, can't it? Right? It's like, oh, well, you believe, that's great, then I don't have to. We'll just believe together and it'll all be fine. It's like, no, there's an assistance that I believe. Um, and listen, those writing these creeds, they're not individualists. They're not atomized modern people. These are uh, people who've been drawn together to say together, I believe. Um, so I want to make that clear. The reason we say we is just, you know, modernity probably. <laughs> My, the skeptic of me says it's modernity. Uh, but but, but it's, it's, it's a liturgical use of the creed. Um, it simply means I believe. What is the purpose of the creeds? The purpose of the creeds is to declare and safeguard God's truth about himself, ourselves, and creation as God has revealed it in Holy Scripture. Um, one of the things I'll say a little bit about is that um, one, of the, one of the main people uh, that was responsible for giving us this catechism was uh, J.I. Packer, the great British evangelical theologian, um, and I remember when he said this um, in, in the room and uh, and he had been crafting it for years, just in his mind. What would be the first? Uh, what would be the first answer in a catechism if we were to write a catechism? And his insistence was based on this: that we do not know the truth about ourselves, and we do not know the truth about God, and we do not know the truth about creation. And to jump forward just a bit, sin has clouded our perception to the extent that the truth is hidden from us. Um, now, I think we all know that we don't know the truth about ourselves, right? Um, I, I, at the risk of saying too much, I'm going through a absolutely earth-shattering process of discernment in my life um, where I'm coming to truth about myself that I would not have recognized three years ago or two years ago or even a year ago. Um, that's not to say I'm a totally different person. It's not to say that, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm altering myself. It's just to say, like, I'm coming to know the truth about myself in a way that was hidden from me. Um, it's painful. It's awful. But there are things happening. Um, it's not apparent. It's not immediately obvious. Um, how do we know this about ourselves, that we don't know the truth about ourselves? Oh, come on, be honest. You've woken up in bed and thought, who the heck am I? Right? You've, you've gone out to dinner with your wife or your girlfriend or whoever it is and, and thought, does she even know who I am? Like, I'm not even sure I know who I am. Have you had that? Is this a common experience? Okay, none of you? Okay, some of you, good. Okay, <laughs> some of you haven't been married yet, so that's why. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just to say, 
this is tough. We, we don't know ourselves. Um, and of course, the great philosophers of all time, what have they said? Oh, yeah, you got to know yourself. Like Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. So examine yourself. Get, get down to business. Know it. Um, we, I, we absolutely don't know the truth about God. Right? I mean, this is, this is actually betrayed by most people's kind of uh, kindergarten understandings of God. He's like, old man lives upstairs, you know, uh, tends to leave us alone. Uh, you know, it's that sort of stuff. Um, you might even say, yeah, I like that. That's good. Let's go with that. It's like, uh, when you learn the Christian doctrines of God, you will have no patience for it at all. Um, we don't know the truth about God. We don't know the truth about creation. Most people today live as though the only thing to know of creation is what I can look at under a microscope. That those are the only things worth knowing. And hopefully by the end of this class you'll say, "Mm -mm, no, there's a lot more. (laughs) There's a whole lot more. (laughs) Uh, There's a whole lot more to know. There's a whole lot more going on behind the scenes. Uh, At least I hope that. You might might persist in materialism, but let me tell you, you won't be a Christian. (laughs) Um, Christians cannot persist in hardcore materialism. It just doesn't work um, because it's just, it's just outside of it. So we don't know the truth, and, and we've got to know the truth. And, and the way we come to know the truth is through the revelation of God in Scripture, um, which contains, clearly, the apostles' teaching. Um, but let's move on. What does belief in the creed signify? Belief in the creed signifies acceptance of God's revealed truth and the intention to live by it. Christians believe in a God who reveals himself. Uh, Divine revelation is the bedrock of Christian believing. Um, We don't sort of believe in a God who just sort of camps out behind a curtain like the Wizard of Oz and doesn't really want to be revealed and just sort of sits there and says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? It's not that. Um, But a God who reveals constantly. Um, But also progressively, right? There's, there's not a sense that God's just like out with it, like, here, here I am. Um, the sense is, takes time. Um, and we see that in Scripture. But believe in the creeds at, at, a very basis, at a very basis point signifies, it signs forth, our acceptance of God's revealed truth. Now, that's a very radical statement, actually. Because it says not that we sort of struggle with the revelation of God or that we um, are interested in the revelation of God or that we um, are determining how much of the revelation of God we will believe or not believe. What are we saying? We just accept it. That's really hard for a lot of people because it is a jump. It's tough. It, it, It actually requires that you say, not only I accept it, but I'm willing to live my life by it. And that's where the second part goes. It expresses our intention, our full intention to live by it. Um, The most honest, the most honest unbelievers I've ever met will all say, if I became a Christian, I would have to live as a saint. That's awesomely refreshing, right? Because they say, if I accepted all that you believe, I would have to be a saint. Like, yeah, that's right. Awesome. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> and, and for some of us, we're like, maybe there's another way. Maybe we can figure out. No, there's no other way. Um, 
belief in the creed signifies our intention to live by that truth. And, it, and, it's, and it's really not actually up for much negotiation. Which creeds does the church acknowledge? The church acknowledges the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Uh, these three creeds uh, are the historic creeds of Christianity, especially in the West. I mean, some of you know enough to know that uh, the Eastern Orthodox struggle with the Athanasian Creed, um, and, and that's all well and good, but the church accepts these creeds. I mean, the, the teaching of these creeds is Christianity in its most basic sense. Um, uh, you know, what has defined Orthodox Christianity and small o orthodoxy through the centuries has been uh, adherence to these creeds. Now, you might have grown up in a Christian tradition where it was like, no, adherence to Scripture is what makes you a Christian. It's like, uh, yes, but in distilled form, the creed. Okay. Um, the Apostles' Creed is what we use for catechesis. It's what is recited at baptisms um, traditionally. Um, the Nicene Creed has been, uh, since about the 12th century, has been recited in churches, especially in, in the West. Um, and the Athanasian Creed uh, for Anglicans uh, has been recited on days like Trinity Sunday, Pentecost, Christmas. It used to be anyway. It's only really on Trinity Sunday now, but, but back in the old days, it was on several feast days and like all the rest, you'd recite the Athanasian Creed. And it's long, but it's lovely. And, like, and, and, it's, and it's directly explicit particularly about who Jesus Christ is. If you're ever sitting there and saying, I'm not sure I know who Jesus is, then you can flip to the back of the catechism, and it's in Appendix 4, and you've got the Athanasian Creed. If you've never read it, um, and, uh, and you're excited to know more about who Jesus is, read the Athanasian Creed, and you'll be, uh, you'll be well-educated as to what that is. Why do you acknowledge these creeds? I acknowledge these creeds with the church because they are grounded in Holy Scripture, and our faithful expressions of its teaching. Um, we acknowledge creeds, and we always acknowledge the, the veracity of a creed with the church. And this is an important point that's often lost, is this. There's no way, there's just no way to do Lone Ranger Christianity. Just not. Um, there's no way practically to do it, there's no way um, in terms of believing to do it in a Lone Ranger way, um, separated from others. Um, the outworking of the Christian faith happens with others who hold the same faith. Um, we acknowledge these creeds with the church because they're grounded in Holy Scripture. Um, now, some of you might say, Sure did take a while to get a creed out of, the, out of Scripture. It's like, yeah, it did. But I am more convinced than ever, and, uh, and the class I took this past summer has uh, made me particularly aware of this, that the creeds are faithful expressions of, the script, of scriptural teaching. Um, there's no, like, innovation going on here. Um, it's, not like, it's not like somebody's saying, like, how can we improve upon Scripture? No one's saying that. They're all saying, um, nope. What we're teaching is simply what the scriptures teach. Um, and that's what winds up in the creeds. Um, they're grounded in Holy Scripture and are faithful expressions of its teaching. All right. Why should you know these creeds? I should know these creeds because they state the essential beliefs of the Christian faith. At the essence of the Christian faith, we have creeds. Um, 
and again, this all goes directly to the heart of it, especially the Apostles' Creed, to the reality that most Christians, for the majority of Christian, uh, of Christian history, um, have on the night of their baptism approached the church and someone has said, what do you ask of the church? And the answer you're supposed to give is faith. And then they say, do you believe in God the Father? Do you, do you see what's going on here? At the heart of Christian believing is not that I'm so gifted, I'm so smart, I have so much understanding that I came up with a creed for myself to describe what I believe. It's just not there. Instead, what do we learn? Ooh. We learn that faith is a gift. And this is the most freeing thing that you could possibly imagine. That faith does not depend upon your intellect. Faith does not depend upon uh, how many degrees you have, how many books you've read, uh, how, many, uh, how many people you know, how many countries you've been to, how many experiences you've had. Faith is a gift. It's a gift of God to his people. Um, and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And I've seen this um, in that I've been all over the world. I've been to just most recent, just in the last year, I've been to Iraq, Israel, like Europe, and I've met Christians there. And we hold the same faith. We can affirm the same creed. Some of them have no more than a second grade education. They're barely literate, and we hold the same faith. So explain to me how this could be some sort of intellectual process. It isn't. It's a gift. Um, and being a gift, this is where I re really love this. this is, and being a gift. Um, one, of the great, one of the great thinkers in the church's life, um, St. Anselm. Remember his great dictum? Anybody here? Baylor Honors College types? Live Oak types? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, right here. Fides quarens intellectum. What does it mean? Yeah, faith seeking understanding. Um, I don't. And this is, this is Anselm's great moment. He's sitting in the chapel. It's morning prayer. He's hearing the Psalms. And what does he read? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And what does he think? He thinks, I don't, I don't understand so that I can believe. I believe so that I can understand. And that is at the basis of Christian believing. So if you've come here and you don't get it, bless you. If you've come here and you think, I don't, I don't understand. Or you've come here and you're like loaded for bear, uh, like, I'm going to take that Father Nelson down. You won't be the first heckler I've ever had, <laughs> and you won't be the last, right? Uh, but faith is a gift, always a gift. Because at the end of the day, there ain't nobody smart enough to apprehend the mysteries of God. Um, there's nobody, and my, one of my favorite, theolo my favorite theologian of all time, Thomas Aquinas, at the end of writing the most brilliant theological exposition of all time forever that will ever be written, I think, I'm probably being presumptuous, knelt down in his chapel and said, all is straw. Because he was overwhelmed by the mysteries of God. And he understood a lot. Um, you might think he was archaic, but he understood a lot. Um, this is to say that 
that um, what we approach in catechesis and what we approach in, in approaching the mysteries of the Christian faith is we approach um, something that will always be bigger than us, that will always overwhelm us, that will always be more than we can, uh, more than we can bear in a sense. Um, but today, the reading is from, one of the New Testament reading is from Hebrews. Um, we've not come to Mount Zion. <laughs> Um, we've not, we're not, we've not, we've, we've come to a heavenly Jerusalem, uh, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Um, and so, uh, let's get that straight first. We are those who get tossed around, right? We are those who are shaky. We are those who, um, wake up in the morning and think, what does it all mean? Um, when we come to, uh, meet the God of Revelation, particularly as he calls us into his, into his life, particularly as he, out, as he pours out this gift of faith upon us, um, we have this wonderful opportunity, um, and that is to receive. Um, and so my hope for you in catechesis is that you'll receive this great gift, uh, the, gift, of, the, gift of, um, the gift of faith that God is wanting to pour abundantly upon you. Okay, so with that, we'll ask the last question, but we're going to ask it standing, and then we'll be done. We'll pray, and then we'll be done. What is the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. But Father, as we go forth this week, awaken us to the gift of faith. Uh, build in us uh, knowledge of you and knowledge of ourselves and knowledge of this creation um, as we seek to know you as you're revealed in Scripture. We ask all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all. Like I said, we won't pick up next week. We'll pick up the following week on September 8th, and uh, uh, we will pick right up with uh, the next section. So thank you all.